Welcome to Digging the Dharma, where we dig into the Buddhist Dharma and explore ways of bringing these 2,500-year-old teachings into our lives. I'm Doug Smith of Doug's Dharma on YouTube and the Online Dharma Institute. And I'm John Aaron, teacher at New York Insight Meditation Center and Space to Meditate and an MBSR teacher and trainer. Okay, great to see you, John. Really Likewise. nice to be with you again. How have you been? I hope you've been well. <laughs> it seems to have been a while. I, I'm, I've been really, really busy. Yeah. Uh, but now that I'm over these humps that I wrote you about, you know, I, I think uh, I can be a little more relaxed as we do this. Not that I wasn't relaxed before, but I, you know, I can just be here. I can be fully present, as they say, in the moment. Well, the, the, <laughs> the irony is that being a, a teacher in Buddhism sometimes can be kind of stressful and involve a lot of time and effort. So Yeah, that's um, true. You don't um, have time for yourself. don't have time to meditate sometimes even. Yeah, which is actually the, the, a good thing to like, good way to, to start our conversation today, since the, the yeah. topic is why meditate. And uh, you know, there's uh, many good reasons, and one of them is, for me anyway, is that we have that opportunity to to stop. <laughs> and uh, I, I often describe meditation as a kind of, well, it's a mini renunciation, right? Mm -hmm. It's like. We're just cutting out enough sense doors and we've made a choice not to be doing anything per se, or the doing is the meditating. That's sometimes, even though when I teach, I'm also, I'm, I mean, teaching itself is a form of practice and I'm guiding a lot of practice as I'm teaching. It's still different than when I just meditate just to meditate. That there's no, I'm not guiding anybody else and not having to teach. I'm just, I'm just giving myself the opportunity to be fully present with what's here, um, which you know naturally grounds me so that I can then move on to whatever it is I have to do with some, or at least a little more clarity, let's put it that way. Yeah, so that's a starting point, at least for me. Yeah, I love the idea of, of thinking of meditation as a chance for renunciation. In a sense, ties us into the the second part of the eightfold path of of you know making that intention one of the intentions is the intention to renounce and i think for many people we sort of think of renouncing as you know renouncing physical things or you know renouncing some kind of food or something like that that's sort of how it's often thought of but renouncing just in a sense, your ordinary life just for half an hour to sit and just be with the present moment is, is I think that's a, that's a wonderful way to think of it. You're renouncing some of the sense doors, basically, at yeah. least one of them, you know, usually yeah. if you, if you practice with your eyes closed, but even if you practice with your eyes somewhat open, you're not looking at anything. Usually, right. You know, and you may be, you can't uh, block out your hearing, but you could to some degree but the point is you're not listening to anything you're just hearing uh, right and the and the point is not really i mean it's not so much to like get into a sensory deprivation tank i mean you could do that but you yeah. uh i mean part of uh what many of us i mean you as well we all sort of think of when we think of meditation is having to deal with the stuff that's going on even though yeah. i mean around us in the room or wherever even you know that that ordinarily we would think of as annoying 
and having to work with that, you know, the, the, the sounds, the, the frustrating noises that come from somewhere or, right. uh, and when we start off in meditation, those occupy a large part of the way we're approaching it, you know, is that how do I deal with these intrusive sounds? And after you've been doing it a while, that the question sort of answers itself because you they're not so intrusive anymore. I mean, they're a little bit, but you sort of you sort of make your peace with it, and yeah. uh, and that's part of the pra- I mean, that's part of why we meditate is to be able to deal with the intrusive features of our lives in a more skillful fashion. Yeah, and what's interesting? So you know, I teach in a lot of different settings, and and I mean, when I'm teaching mindfulness-based stress reduction, the first meditation that's introduced in that course is a 45-minute body scan, which is a pretty serious practice. You know, it's not easy, and for many people, it's really quite unpleasant at first. Unpleasant, really? Yeah, it can be, you know, depending, because they're not used to just, I mean, you know, people have it in their minds, even though it's never said, A, that they need to be still, and and then they also think they should be feeling something or they and they shouldn't be having thoughts so they they have an expectation that they bring with it and as soon as the expectation kicks in and they're not meeting it then there's a frustration and that frustration leads to agitation and so it takes a while and actually on friday this john kabat-zinn came to a training that i was one of the facilitators for he just stopped in it was the last weekend of this advanced training for new MBSR teachers. And he was, there are two things that came up. But one was, you know, he said, people always ask me why I started that eight weeks with a 45-minute sit or why the meditations are as long as they are. And he said, you know, in 10 minutes, you can get a certain benefit. And it's certainly true because in many of the other contexts where I teach a 10-minute meditation or, you know, all the apps that are available now generally start with a 10-minute meditation. He said, but after like 20 or 30 or 40 minutes, that's when things get challenging. And that's when you really kind of recognize what can, you know, you, you get the difficulties that you can learn to work with, you know. And that's very that's really very true. There is great benefit that can be gained by practicing 10 minutes every day or twice a day at least in terms of you know, just dealing on a certain level with stress and some anxiety. But when you go longer, you know, it's what's really on the other side of that wall of difficulty where, where we start to actually start, we actually start to, to um, discover things that otherwise we wouldn't discover, mainly our, our unhelpful habits. And the other thing that John said, because John Kabat-Zinn he tends to talk a lot when he's guiding meditations. And he, and he was saying about that, you know, it was like people get addicted to silence or they get attached to silence. Let me put it that way. And so, you know, you'll have people in a space. And, and of course, those of us who go on retreat a lot, you know, they're usually in pretty quiet spaces. Not always, but certainly the ones that I've been to in this country, they're all very you know, just the natural environment, other than the sounds from that, they're silent, they're, they're quite quiet. But of course, in the city, we don't get that. And some people just get so easily distracted by sounds. And that, as you said, I mean, that's just 
part of the practice, but they don't get it. They think, oh, it's, the goal is to be quiet. I warn people when they go on retreat, especially for the first time, while it may be really quiet, all that happens then is that the, the thoughts in the mind get really loud. You know, so one way or the other, you're going to have to work with it. And that's the practice, you know, that's part of the practice. And, and John Kabat-Zinn is the, the person who founded all MBSR. So Yeah, I mean, he's in many ways the founder of modern mindfulness, if you want to think of it that way, I mean, just in terms of like secularizing all these ancient teachings into a, a language that could be accepted in non-Buddhist settings, which it certainly has been, or by, by people who just aren't interested in Buddhism or, or think they are. Right. And do you do long sits in an MBSR course or do you just? Yeah. I mean, usually, you know, you spend between 30 and 45 minutes. You'll have meditations which are 30 to 45 minutes. And then as part of that course, there's a full day of practice, which is, you know, for many people, their first quote retreat in the sense that they've, they've relinquished their phones and, you know, are just there to practice and they're not talking. Um, so they've cut off, you know, and, and the not talking on retreat, of course, and, you know, we'll probably do a separate podcast on retreat, on retreats rather. Um, yeah, I don't think we could do a podcast while we're on retreat. Um, <laughs> but for many people, it's their first time not, the idea of not talking for seven hours. And it's, it's really not about the not talking. It's more about the not having to have conversation. <laughs> Right. So, cause, cause conversation just is often just nothing but concepts that people are discussing or opinions that people are discussing. And, you know, it's one sees that one can actually develop a relationship within the silence with others. It's quite more, it's quite a bit more profound, actually. It just, it opens up a different way of experiencing the right. world and other people, I think. Yeah. Um, that you don't, I mean, it's, it's almost, indescribable in a sense you won't want to say i mean it's just sort of like you when you when you spend hours without speaking i don't know it's just it's something relaxes for a while for sure uh, yeah uh you're not trying to you know come up with a podcast or something <laughs> some would say in fact one teacher i know says well it doesn't give you the opportunity to practice right speech uh, good too. Good point. Yeah. Or one could say it gives you the opportunity to practice perfect speech. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that would be who was it? I think it was Thomas Keating, Father Thomas Keating, who said, "Silence is the language of God. Everything else is just a bad interpretation," <laughs> you know, which is a great line. But the point is, like a daily meditation practice, which is really, really important. If, if you know, if if one wants to transform their life in any, in any way. That's different than being on retreat, which is basically meditating in one way or another, almost 24-7, except when you're sleeping, perhaps. And, and, you know, going on retreat is certainly one way to really strengthen your daily practice. At least that's what I discovered after my first retreat. It was like, then there wasn't a choice. Right? It just became a very much a healthy habit. And the, the other thing I've been kind of saying for classes a lot lately, because I read this article about Bruce Springsteen being um, his, he has a CBD company, which I hadn't realized. And some, there was some legal issue that came up in one of his concerts that he was promoting. I, I don't know. It was a legal issue that came up, but I was, I was curious about his company. So I went to the website 
and I forget the name of it. You know, and it said, you know, CBD is, is wonderful. It helps with anxiety. It helps with pain relief. It helps with uh, you know, sleep. <laughs> so I start my classes now by saying, you know, you don't, you, if, if you're just here for anxiety or you're just here for pain relief or you're just here for sleep, you might as well just take CBD. It's easier. You know? I don't think but, it works as well. <laughs> but, but, you know, if you're here for some level of transformation, that's another matter. And, you know, this is what that class, what that particular class is about. I mean, I'll say if you're not interested in changing your life, if you're not interested in any sort of transformation, you know, why bother? It's not that I'm trying to discourage people, but I'm just being honest. And, um, but I mean, people can get into, I mean, I think one of the, one of the wonderful things about meditation is that you get into it maybe thinking that you don't you're not interested in a transformation and then something happens. Yeah. True. All of a sudden you find that things that were more difficult for you and you never thought you, you never even considered that they would get easier. All of a sudden they sort of do if you keep going with it. Yeah, absolutely true. Now this could get us into an interesting, I'll just throw this out because it'll get into an interesting place perhaps. So when I was in college, I paid at that point my, I don't know, $75 and went to a transcendental meditation class, I guess, because I'd heard that it was a really good thing. And I brought my flowers and my orange or whatever to the teacher because that was what we were told to do. And and then there's this kind of short, I, as I'm remembering it, there's a short introduction about, it doesn't say anything about the tradition which is, you know, basically a Hindu tradition. And then eventually, you know, you're, you're told, okay, we're going to give you a mantra and you can't tell it to anybody. And, you know, you have to practice 20 minutes a day, maybe twice a day, I can't remember. So, you know, you're waiting there anxiously for your mantra. And, and I, I, this I remember very clearly. I was so anxious. I was like, almost like couldn't breathe, you know. And then this mantra gets whispered in my ear. I don't actually remember what it was. And... I don't remember what it was because I didn't tell it to anybody. So, you know, <laughs> and, you know, I, I practiced diligently for a few years and, and it was, you know, while you're practicing, it, it certainly can calm you down. And, you know, it's, it's still a practice which is taught and it's a lot more than $75 now to take the class. It does have value while you're doing it. I mean, and it does kind of settle you. The, the, the problem with, with TM, at least as it's presented, is that it kind of stops at the level of stability of mind, I would say. So it stops at concentration because it is a concentration practice. You're just repeating this mantra. And of course, the teachers are trained in a way that like whenever you come to them and say, I just, my mind is filled with this, my mind is filled with that. It's just, just go back to the mantra. Just practice. But that opens up a whole other issue, which is one of, you know, when we say, or why meditate? Well, what what kind of meditation, right? right? So, exactly. in a certain sense, the, the, the question is more open-ended than that, because there are different ways that you can approach meditation, and why do any one of them rather than the other? So, someone says... Here's a here's a concentration practice. Why do that? Or or should I should I pre should I prefer to do that over some other practice? If you're coming at it for the first time, then 
any practice can be great, a good place to start. I mean, there's no reason to say that one practice as a starting point is any better than any other. Concentration is just as essential as yeah, anything else. Absolutely. I think somebody a little bit farther along may wonder where to go and what it is to meditate really and yeah. how should I be spending my time. And, you know, what's interesting in, in, in the sort of more, quote, advanced transcendental meditation classes, the pitch was that it was about bringing you into different states. Now, the interesting thing is that, that in, in Buddhist meditation practices, which form the, I would say, form the core of contemporary mindfulness practices, it's, it's not really about states, you know. Perhaps some jhana practices are about states, but you're not putting yourself into sort of a state of mind. You're, I think we should explain explain jhana a little bit. Uh, yeah, for so, people who may not be familiar with it. Well, there are various levels of jhana, but the the jhana actually, I mean, jhana itself is one of the words for meditation. Right. Right. Uh, another use of the word is for absorption meditation, and then absorption means you are absorbed in an object to the point where nothing else really comes in, but you're, you're sort of, it is in that sense, then the higher jhanas, I guess, never experienced it, you know, certain, it's a certain state of mind or it's defined as that. And I'm sure it's beautiful. You know? That's the idea, right? Is yeah. It's supposed to be a very, very pleasurable kind of state. Yeah. On the other hand, it's not enlightenment. It's not, it's not, you know, I mean, when the, when the Buddha went into the higher jhanas, it said that he saw all of his past lives. Okay. That still wasn't, I mean, it was important to him, but it wasn't his awakening. Right. But it is sort of like a, a pinnacle of concentration practice that we were discussing before, right. where the idea is that you, somebody might wonder, why should I do concentration practice? Well, there are various reasons, but one of the reasons might be because you want to experience these kinds of very, very pleasant right. states. And they take the problem with them, and one of the reasons why they aren't so important in contemporary mindfulness is just that they take an awful long time to get to. You need to do a lot of meditation on a regular basis to really be able to achieve them. Though I suspect for some people it's very simple too. You know, people are different. But well, you can fall yeah. into them, but it, yeah, in general, exactly. it takes a long time. Yeah, and then the problem is you have that state, and you love it, and you want to keep going, and back. you want to keep and getting. The, and the back. harder you try, you're not going to get it. Right. So there's a very famous story, and I still don't know what the real truth is, but it's a good story anyway. Um, I think it was Trungpa Rinpoche, you know, the founder of Shambhala, who was on back in the '80s. I think was on like the Tonight Show or something. And um, Carson or Leno, it would have been Leno then, you know, said, so when you meditate, is it like being in a trance? And his response was, no, 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 we're always in a trance. <laughs> <laughs> when we're meditating, we're actually being fully here and fully present and fully awake to what's here now. You know, so if, if the goal of meditation, if, 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 you know, you're going to meditation because you want to sort of escape what's here now, that's a whole different thing. But if you want to be fully present with what's here now and, and see clearly the habitual patterns that get in the way of that, that's sort of where meditation can bring us. And, and then, you know, so when, when we are dealing with those outside distractions, quote, distractions like sound and noise, uh, sound and disturbing thoughts or whatever, you know, oh, it's like we see those for what they are. <laughs> 
But that that's a very, I would say that's a mindfulness-based way of looking at meditation. Yeah. I mean, in the sense that, first of all, I don't think it's too wrong to say that in a certain sense, jhana is a kind of an escape from ordinary life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a state that is that we that we people search for in the past because it is beautiful because it is a uh, I've forgotten how the Buddha puts it but it's like a pleasant state of abiding here and now I think that there's a, a stock phrase right. that it's like that's a wonderful state to be in it's one that is much more pleasant than any normal state that we would ever achieve in ordinary life with our sense with our senses so it is in a sense an escape. And to get there, you have to be able to be in a place that is very quiet because, I mean, even in the old text, it says that that sound is a thorn to the jhanas. It sound gets the, in the way. Yeah, to the, to the, to the, the achievement of, of the, the that higher kind of, jhanas. The right. Higher uh, jhanas. That kind of higher, yeah. that, the achievement of, of those kinds of very deep, absorptive states of meditation that we really do have to be in a place that's quiet, that's, yeah. and we have to have overcome the hindrances. That is, these, these obsessive mental states that normally are within right. us. So right. it really is a kind of, a, I mean, it could be seen as a kind of an escape, although temporary. And so we have to understand it in its place. Whereas the broader state, I think you're getting out of mindfulness is where one where we are here with whatever arises. So if we look at the Eightfold Path, right, in the meditation leg of the Eightfold Path, so we have right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Concentration, so that could is a level of jhana. One could say the first, at least the first jhana, and that shows up, you know, very much in, in mindfulness of breathing, right? Which is you know just a kind of condensed version of the trainings on mindfulness, or it's a a re, re a reinterpretation or restating or just finding a simpler, more poetic way, perhaps, of saying it all. And the third part of that, you know, is talking about a unified mind. So to me, a unified mind, that is samadhi, a unified mind, is a mind that's not grasping for anything. It's just fully present. And it's not that it isn't aware of other things, but it's not reaching out for them. From that place of a unified mind, one begins to see clearly, which is then what insider vipassana is. And there are stages to get to that unified mind. And 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 mindfulness is, you know, the, the key to that, you know, as well as wise effort, um, which is not trying too hard, among other things, and and knowing when the hindrances of sleepiness and agitation and sense, desire, and aversion, and doubt are present, and being able to kind of recognize them and not let them take over. And so that's all part of mindfulness, which then leads to that unification, in which case the hindrances are not present, um, at least for a minute or two. You know, maybe for a lot longer, but you know, for starters, you recognize those moments. You know, now we're getting into, of course, much broader territory, but it's important to recognize that the hindrances, which to me is a really bad name for what they are. <laughs> you know, I mean, on one level, they're, they are, they're hindering your practice. On the other level, there's such great opportunities because it's like, oh, here it is. Here is this. You know, let me, let me notice this. Let me recognize where else it appears in my life and then let me work with it. 
And in, in the working with it, you're learning something about your own mind. And, you know, eventually it just kind of doesn't occur as much anymore. And, you know, we all have our favorites, but it's, it's still, you know, we'll do, we'll do a podcast just on the hindrances. But I, I just, I start by thinking that that's really, it's, it's one side of it, but it's also, you know, the, the, yes, it hinders and yes, it teaches. So it's, you know, it's just an opportunity. Getting back to the question at hand, which is why, why, sh why should we meditate? One answer might be, well, to try to overcome these hindrances. And sure. the Zen kind of uh, paradox here is that in order to overcome the hindrances, you sort of have to see them as friends more than as enemies, exactly. and at least to an extent, and mm -hmm. you know, embrace them and, and get to know them. Because if you're pushing them away all the time, you're just reinforcing the hindrance of aversion or right. ill will, and that's not really helpful. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's um, yeah, I mean, it is a paradox, and yet that's the practice. You know, and our practice is generally working with paradox in one way or another sometimes, <laughs> you know. So, so yeah, this will be a long, you know, these, you know, a lot of our discussion is going to be around the value of meditation in confronting whatever we're confronting or the value of meditation in dealing with strong emotions, et cetera. And, you know, we can plan maybe in our next discussion to actually talk more specifically about mindfulness and, and what it is. So. Excellent. Um, yeah. But this has been fun. And uh, I hope folks have enjoyed it. And we're curious to hear your thoughts on meditation. So feel free to contact us through the uh, podcast link in the podcast and or link in the podcast notes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have to figure out how to get those links there, but we'll, that won't be <laughs> it'll all get done. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. Yes. Thanks very much. And yeah, we'll catch Until you on next the next time. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, consider leaving a review on your local podcast directory. It would help us out a lot. You can check John out at johnaaron.net and Doug at Doug's Dharma on YouTube and his Patreon page linked in the notes. You've been listening to Dig in the Dharma with Doug Smith and John Aaron. Thank you.